Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Robbie Martin. Today, Abby and I will be interviewing 2020 presidential Democratic candidate and former Senator Mike Gravel. So there's not much need for an intro, really, for this podcast. So let's just get straight into it. Oh, God, yeah, I just admire you unbelievably. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Senator. It's an, inc- an incredible honor to have you on and oh, um, well, so well, happy. Here, Abby, it's really a pleasure to have to, you know, be on a program with you. Oh, my gosh. Well, the, the honor's all mine. Yeah, well, no, it's mine, too. <laughs> Senator Gravel, um, Bernie Sanders is running for president. Um, he does have a very solid track record fighting for consumer advocacy, and, and he is a staunch progressive Democratic socialist, and he has been in Congress for decades, kind of proving that through his voting record. And then, of course, you have Elizabeth Warren, you have former Bernie surrogate Tulsi Gabbard. So talk about why you decided to jump in the 2020 race as another progressive to potentially split the vote instead of backing someone like Bernie. Oh, no, we would split the vote. Uh, In fact, uh, my favorite is Tulsi Gabbard. Uh, She's the only one. Bernie is now picking up on it, too. Uh, and that is uh, addressing the problem of the military-industrial complex. And so, no, if I don't envision that that I would get there, uh, not by the stretch of the imagination, but, uh, and so I certainly would support Bernie and Tulsi. And Warren has got some good specifics, too, that I'm impressed with. Now, I wasn't, I wasn't impressed when she endorsed uh, Hillary over Bernie in Massachusetts uh, back then. But, but that's water under the bridge. The, the, the important thing is, and of course, we see it now with Biden getting all of this attention. But I don't think Biden's going to have any legs to get there. Uh, beyond this year, uh, he is mistake prone, and one of them is going to be one too many. Uh, the issue, as I see it, is is one that the Democratic Party has been pulled to the right by uh, Bill Clinton uh, and and that whole group uh, of Democrats who just wanted to get more donations from Wall Street uh, trying to emulate the, the actions of the Republicans. And and uh, Biden was part of that cabal. You know, uh, the, the legislation they had with respect to bankruptcy so students couldn't, couldn't go bankrupt and get rid of their loans. Uh, you know, th- there's a reason for the bankruptcy law, and, and it was a, an effective law. But the credit card companies and uh, the banks wanted to make it a lot more strict. And of course, Biden accommodated them along with uh, and then Clinton with the uh, doing away with Glass-Steagall, which set up the, uh, uh, the 08 recession. And to give you an idea, uh, right after Glass-Steagall was uh, voided, uh, Rubin, who was the Secretary of Treasury on under Clinton, he resigned and went over to Citibank, and his first year income was $30 million. It, it gets really, really uh, disgusting. Uh, so uh, I think that Bernie has got a good chance of beating Bernie's tough guy. Uh, very mm. tough. And, uh, and, and he's a grumpy guy, too. So, he, you know, you're not going to suck up to him. 
and so Trump is is I think is going to meet his match. The tragedy, the tragedy is that the, the Clintons and uh, the 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 Democratic Party, uh, Obama primarily sabotaged uh, Bernie Sanders when the polls showed in the last election that uh, he could have been, he, Bernie could have beaten uh, Trump. Now, uh, the, having said that, the other facet of this campaign, uh, and it's a campaign of getting the message out there, uh, in, in point, pointing out that, that Tulsi and Bernie uh, are the only ones, uh, and I'm sure that uh, uh, Warren will come around to this, are the only ones addressing the military-industrial complex. And so when you see all these other candidates and don't even address this problem, they have no idea what they're gonna what they're gonna run into uh, if if they if God forbid they would become president, because uh, all the the presidents up to now have been owned by the military industrial complex, which own our government totally, along with Wall Street. And so how can we solve that problem? In my mind, you 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 won't be able to solve it because the problem goes back to the Constitution. The law is central, and so if we're going to address all of these programs that we want, and Bernie has got a boatload along with Chelsea and Warren, and more power to them. The problem is, is I sincerely don't believe that until we turn around and create a law, a legislature of the people. And I've got that in great detail coming out in the book in uh, uh, this summer. And, of course, already uh, a book I had, uh, Citizen Power, out there. The plan for bringing this about is is visible, ready. And the problem is is that the, the elites in our society uh, don't want to give up their power. And this is, this is something that would uh, curtail... Their power would give the people an opportunity to solve this disparity between uh, the haves and the have-nots. So, uh, certainly, yeah, and we don't see any politicians even addressing. I mean, other than Bernie and and Warren and few others, even addressing the fact that half of this country lives in poverty. Oh, Mike, um, it, it's pretty astounding. It's not astounding. It's obscene. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. And immoral. Uh, and uh, here I, I could add another uh, issue that I don't I don't hear anybody talking about, and that is the uh, the uh, the sanctions. Who the hell right. are we to sanction anybody in the world? We're we're abusing our our uh, advantage as a currency uh, and our our critique. Here we're right now in the middle of this Venezuela situation. Well, I'll tell you that the, there's going to be tens of thousands of children that are going to die as a result of the sanctions. We're the ones causing the problem in Venezuela. We point to them and say, well, it's because it's a socialist country or, or a communist country. That's not the problem. The problem is, is we've been screwing around, screwing around with their government for decades and uh, under Chavez and now under Maduro, uh, you know, I don't claim that they're the most competent people on the planet, but I do think that our meddling and trying to uh, sabotage their uh, their economy, and we're doing it 
very successfully and is causing great pain and causing loss of life. This is no- 40,000 dead. 40,000 have been killed just since 2017 from these sanctions, Mike. And that, oh. that's intentional. I mean, that is genocidal. That, that's war. We're, we're making that's war. war on people that we just don't agree with. Whether it's North Korea, whether it's it's uh, uh, Iran, yeah, this is sick. And of course, we had this this situation under Clinton, when five hundred thousand kids in Iraq died as a result of these sanctions. And and Albright made the statement that well, that's that's just uh, 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 what I forget. I you know, it was she said worth it. Was it. Worth it yeah. Yeah, well, more than worth collateral damage. That's what she called it, collateral damage. It, this is our our foreign policy is sick, and and it's been that way, in uh, in my mind, going all the way back to the founding of the country. You know, if you look closely at the Mexican War in uh, eighteen forty eight, if you look at the uh, war in the Philippines, which was a, a replay or a precursor. To the tragedy of Vietnam, you know this is, and of course we have. We can talk about slavery. We can talk about the genocide that we've done to our indigenous population. The, the this is not of new. This is not new vintage. This is this is what's been going on from the very beginning. And what I'm saying is that there's only two venues to bring about change. One is the government, and they're not going to bring about fundamental change. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll nip at the, at the surface. Uh, I hope to be able to try to persuade Bernie and, and Tulsi and say to them that, and Warren, look at you have a wonderful agenda. Now tell me how you're going to get it enacted into law. Uh, I'm gonna, we're going to jump in here really quick, uh, Mike, because you're covering a lot of ground that we want to kind of dive into more. Okay, good. Before we get into the policies here, just give us a quick assessment on what you think about Trump. I mean, you've been in politics for a long time. You've been a consumer advocate. You've been fighting against these wars for as long as I can remember, Mike. I mean, do you consider Trump a unique threat or figure in U.S. politics? Just a, a brief kind of analysis on his a, presidency. A, dam- a damaging threat. Uh, and and I, I think the, the simple terminology for Trump is he's a narcissistic fool. Yeah, and and that's doing him a kindness. Uh, <laughs> he 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 just doesn't have the gravitas. He doesn't have the brain power. You know, he likes to think that everything he does is is a superlative. It's just the opposite. He's done such damage to our society uh, and to our position in the world uh, with his trade, make America first, which is which is immoral. In, in its uh, on its surface, you know, when you say, "Well, we've got to have jobs at home," well, people have to eat in other countries too, and so we've got a, st- a structural deficiency globally, and we've got a structural deficiency uh, in our nation. and And I blame Obama uh, for uh, for what's happened in bringing about Trump. He, he, you know, he and Hillary uh, and their ilk. Sabotage Bernie's uh, Bernie's chances, and Bernie was trapped. He's not trapped now because he's really dissecting uh, the Obamacare, which is nothing but a subsidy to the insurance industry and the pharmaceutical industry. And and I think that 
that that that that's the issue that can pass, regardless of what happens. Now, when they say, "Where's the money?" <laughs> I'll tell you where the money is. It's in the it's in the budget that we're we're giving to the military industrial complex. Just just the amount of money for the nuclear refurbishment, which is one point seven trillion dollars, and if you add the fact of their cost overruns as a as a matter of course with the military uh we're talking about three trillion dollars now you could take care of uh, of the uh health for all and also the issue of of education but we fail right across the board on the whole educational issue in the world today and and that is what is going to come home to roost just to get into a little bit of lighter subject territory for a second, because we've been talking about quite heavy things. One of the most exciting things, I think, for a lot of people when you sort of launched your 2020 campaign was how savvy uh, you you appeared to be with your meme game. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> one, one of your one of your posts that um, that Mashable actually selected as an example of that was um, you tweeted. Uh, the first historic black hole photo uh, was you, you described as the first ever photo of Dick Cheney's heart, <laughs> which, which is fucking hilarious. Don't, don't give me too much credit. Now, let, let's, let's be fair. David Oak and Henry uh, Williams and uh, Church, Ben Church, these are the kids that are running the campaign. When you, you know, say kids, how old is David Oak? David, 17. Oh, that's he's, awesome. just, he's graduating from high school this year, and he's going to Oxford. And Henry Henry Williams is uh, is a freshman at Columbia, and uh, and uh, Ben Church uh, is is a mathematics genius who I think is in his third year at Columbia. So now I gave them, uh, and people would say, "Well, I was acting foolish." No, I I the, they. They uh, c- contacted me and uh, said that David calls me on the phone. He says, we'd like you to run for president. Uh, and I said to him, do you have any idea how old I am? And he <laughs> says, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. What counts is, is what you believe in. And we want that exposed. And so essentially what's being exposed. And, and then, of course, they needed a way to communicate. So I gave them my Twitter account. So I had friends call me on the phone and say, boy, Mike, you got some great, like you just did. There's some great stuff on Twitter that you're getting out there. Hell, I haven't done a thing. (laughs) (laughs) All the kids. Now, we've gone over a platform in great detail, and they call me every so often, what's my position on this? What's my position on that? And I just tell them, and that's it. But but what's coming home to roost is uh, is what I was doing in the '08 campaign uh, when uh, Obama got elected. Uh, Howard Dean and General Electric uh, pushed me out of the debates, and of course, had I been a sitting senator like Bernie, uh, they wouldn't have got away with it. But there's nothing I could do. I didn't have the resources to fight back. Uh, but but all of the appearances, the seven appearances that I made in the debates, are all relevant today. <laughs> so, oh, I remember uh, them. The the thing that's interesting to me, Mike, though, is how did a seventeen year old kid uh, like how did I mean? 
I, that was that was you know that's that's a kind of a long time ago uh, that you were be- that you were in the spotlight in those primaries. So how did this? How did these group of young people even get tapped into your ideas in the first place? Like how? What was their trajectory? It, to that? Uh, first off, it, I forget the blog. It was one blog where where uh, David spotted me, and uh, David ran for a political office in his own community, and his manager was Henry Williams, <laughs> but he but he lost. Little wonder at I think sixteen years old he was running for mayor. That's but, amazing. But be that may the, the the kids are very precocious, very <laughs> precocious. I I wish I was as smart as them or as experienced as they are when at seventeen. You know, I I was a globalist then, but uh, that that's about the size of it. Uh, I <laughs> a lot in other people's campaigns. Uh, I mean a lot. Uh, until I got to Alaska, the first thing I did was run for office in Alaska. But, but the, but these kids, I, I'll just repeat, they're precocious. They're very bright. Uh, we've made a, an arrangement whereby, uh, I can veto anything they're, they're doing. They were using the F word too frequently. I, I can use it <laughs> privately, but I don't think <laughs> it adds <laughs> publicly. And and then, of course, they were dumping on the other candidates. Uh, all I did was I chuckled at that, but I told them, I pointed out to them that that's not the best way to get our message across is to do a negative on other people. But but I do that, too. As you can recall in the debates, I wasn't bashful on charging the others uh, over what they were doing with the, the, the nuclear deal. There's- oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I w- really quickly, I wanted to jump in here and just say, you know, you're, what I love about your entire platform is this kind of no more wars, just an unequivocal call to end the U.S. empire. I mean, you know, you mentioned other candidates and yes, they are talking about endless wars, um, but there is not one person, Mike, who is calling for an unequivocal end to the war on terror, which is, you know, it's foundationally built on a farce. And just the kind of the unequivocal end to these genocidal sanctions in Venezuela, the list goes on and on. But you're talking about how, you know, in the Democratic primaries and debates in 2008, you were also making the Iraq war a central tenant to your platform. But then again, I mean, think about what Obama was saying at the time, closing Gitmo, ending the war. Tell us, tell our audience what that experience was like on the debate stage against these adversaries and, and also just your thoughts in general about how the Obama presidency absolving the criminals of the Iraq war, the torturers paved the way for where we are today. It's, it's worse than that. Uh, just, just put yourself in the frame of mind of a person who meets on Tuesday with a couple of generals and they go over a list as to who's going to be assassinated. And the word is assassinated. There's no trial, uh, and and they would do this regularly. Uh, I I just wonder what's going on in their minds. Now, of course, we see the military doing this frequently, but but to suck up, to suck in Obama in this. Now, I was not impressed the first time I met Obama when that was on the stage of the first debate. And that's where I attacked him because he had just uh, genuflected before APAC the day before and promised that everything was on the table. Well, that's code for saying that you're prepared to use nukes. And so I brought him up short on that. And that little spot is 
is interesting. The when uh, I forget who the interviewer was, but in the debates, but he said, "Well, well, Senator Gravel, you're you said you're you're not running to be president," uh, and 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 of course I had to defend myself. I says, "Well." That's true, but that was before I, I stood with all these other people, and they scare me. And so as a result of being so scared, I'm, I'm now running for real. <laughs> we, we went through that drill again just recently when Henry really put out a new press release that don't, don't, don't keep saying that you're, you just want to be in the debates. Uh, you know, let's just start saying that you're running for president. And, and Maybe I'll get selected as vice president. You know, I'd have a, probably a few good years. And, but the, the key thing that if I were able to succeed on anything, it would be to persuade Bernie and, uh, and Warren and Tulsi that the answer is empowering the people to make laws. Um, at the time, you decided to run under the libertarian ticket instead of, I mean, I don't know actually what the politics were behind that. Um, you know, I know it's obviously really hard to get ballot access as a third party. Are you anti-capitalist, Mike? Do you consider yourself anti-capitalist? Uh, well, that, that's a difficult question to answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am for inclusive capitalism, uh, yeah. uh, a two-factor economic theory. I think you just don't throw money at the problem. You, you structure a process. And I'll, I'll give you an example uh, like the, the one of the candidates is saying that we'll give everybody a thousand dollars, but that, they'll they'll bankrupt the country uselessly, and that's not enough. What we have to do is to provide a loan program where people. Uh, first off, we pass a law that any any corporation uh, that is publicly traded has to expand uh, uh, on a basis of equity, not loan. And then what you do is you have a program with uh, with public banking where you now can make loans wholesale to the American public where they, then they, they buy the productive instruments that are making them physically obsolete. And then they, they reap the benefits of this ownership because all they do, all that, that plan is real simple. How do wealthy people get wealthy? It's with other people's money. And so that's uh, and so that's the program that I would like to see is and and this of course I came upon this when I was in the Senate with uh, ESOPs employee stock ownership plans. I had a program in Alaska where we were going to buy the one sixth of the pipeline from BP for three billion three hundred million, and uh, and because it was so complicated. Uh, and I lost in a primary, and so I used half of my campaign money to try and educate people uh, to this process. It was called the General Stock Ownership Plan, and, and the design of it is real simple. You, people would have received from their ownership interest about three to five hundred dollars uh, a year. Well, do three or four of these deals before you know it, you got some real money going into the hands of ordinary citizens and the poor. Because you you would then be able to uh, give them a, an economic base that they don't have today. I don't know if I've uh, uh, I've raced through this quite quickly, uh, but that's what I would do. I would restructure capitalism uh, and and pass Glass-Steagall, get that reenacted, uh, so that we can split up the banks of, in, 
two activities and then endorse public banking. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Ellen Brown. Oh, yeah. We're trying to get a public bank out here in L.A., and we're really close to doing that, actually. Um, oh. Yeah, so you're, you're for a more conscious capitalism. You want, um, you know, a, a democracy, essentially. And right now we have socialism for the rich, and everyone else is screwed. We can't, we can't get it done under the present structure. Here, they, uh, the, the Wall Street and the military-industrial complex and the elites, 1%, 10%, they control our society lock, stock, and barrel. Oh, we can sneak some stuff through here and there, but, but that's not the answer. The answer is, is that our forefathers screwed up and they keep, kept the people away from lawmaking. Mike, you've said that you are essentially running not to win, but just to be able to get on the debate stage. And, and go ahead. So why do you think this is so important uh, to, I mean, a candidate with such radical views like yourself, um, it's, especially now, your views almost, in my view, seem to have become more radical since the last time you were in the Democratic primaries. Oh, yes. You're right so, on that. You're right so, on that. Well, so I with someone with as radical views as yourself, I mean, even if you reach the requirements to get on the debate stage, can you even trust the DNC not to pull some kind of shenanigans to essentially cut you out of that, even if you reach the allotted donations or, um, you know, there's, signatures? There, there's no question in my mind that I'm the horror of horrors from the DNC <laughs> point of view. And, and, and they did it the last time. It was Howard Dean conspiring with ML, the head of General Electric, because they owned MSNBC and NBC. And that's when they cut me out of the debates. And of course, what, what, when I went to the Libertarians, really what I was after was just a venue to exhibit uh, the issue of uh, direct democracy. Uh, and because some of, some of the members uh, really liked the idea. But thank God I didn't get the nomination uh, because it would have been it, it would have been it wouldn't have been right for me. Uh, you know, I'm a Democrat. I've been voting Democrat all my life, but I've never voted a full ticket. Uh, you know, because as you follow politics closely, you can discern uh, like a, there's no way I would have voted for Obama. Uh, there's no way that I would vote for Hillary Clinton. It, it just boggles the mind that she would go out. The, now, she knows she's going to run for president, but the year before, she's getting $600,000 fees from Wall Street people, and, and she did it with, uh, you know, there's no big deal. You know, this is, this is what I'm entitled to. Well, what, uh, the obvious campaign play was, well, what was she saying to these uh, these? these private meetings of uh, the elites. So it, it was it, at this point in time, the democratic party is, is it's brazen. Uh, the, the, there was just an article out about uh, that. The, the democratic party is really concerned about Bernie. Uh, I got to tell you, Bernie is the only one that could get elected. That's meaningful. I mean, getting elected uh, it, when, when you just, don't say anything. You're an empty shirt, or you. What you? The code is, you know. We got to bring people together. We got to compromise. Yeah. There's, there's no wisdom in compromise. When it's wrong, it's wrong, and when it's right, it's right. And uh, and this hanging in there, 
you know, you're right about one thing. I, I am radical, but but hey, I I'd be happy to debate anybody, anybody on these issues, and uh, and we saw that when I was in the debates, I gave a good account of myself, even though we were being sabotaged by the networks who didn't give us the equal time. Yeah, I mean, people. A lot of people don't realize that these debates are now corporatized. I mean, they're they're literally funded by corporations, and they kind of exist to just reinforce the status quo and the establishment. That's why it's so difficult to get in them. And 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 of course, that's the problem. The uh, and so when you get good people like uh, Bernie, Tulsi, and Warren at this point. Uh, and they're the only ones that I see in, on the horizon. I think the reason why uh, uh, Biden, and I know Joe very well, uh, and he's a nice guy, but his record, his judgment, his ideology just just is terrible. And, uh, and so that's going to come home to roost. Uh, I, I, I do not forgive Joe over the savagery that he permitted uh, on Anita Hill. And I'm glad that she hasn't forgiven him either because it was unconscionable. Uh, and, and it was his decision to not bring in these corroborating witnesses uh, that were there in the wings waiting to be interviewed. That was his decision. Uh, and then, of course, Schechter uh, went as a crazy prosecutor, uh, and that was permitted by Joe. He didn't intervene, and he could have. He was chairman of the committee. This is unforgivable. Well, the other thing that just really angers me about what Joe did is the bankruptcy law. You know, I've been bankrupt. I I know the difficulties of of that situation. But what's happening is to deny students who carry this terrible debt to unload the debt by going bankrupt, and that's what Joe did. He you know he accommodated the uh, the credit card companies and the banks. And uh, and that's not the person I want to see to head up the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party, and you were referring to, that I'm so radical. I'm not radical. I, it's just that the others are are not logical. It's it does it doesn't take any great uh, view to say, you know, people sleeping on the streets in the cold of winter in Washington D.C. Is, is obscene, is wrong. And, and so tell me, so, but, but uh, that's radical? Boy, I'll tell you, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a great believer in religion, but I'll tell you that all these people, and I can give you a vignette if you want, the, when I first got to the Senate, you know, I wanted to suck up to the people in power. And so I, I, it dawned on me that the prayer breakfast, which of course was, uh, you know, I was totally hypocritical. So I go to a prayer breakfast in the Senate. And what do I see? I see all the people there that are pushing the war in Vietnam. Huh. So I only went to one prayer breakfast that I couldn't stomach it anymore. That they, they, they just, where this, uh, and of course, you you had the same thing with slavery. I mean, they tried to sustain this with biblical quotations. They, well, I I could go on and on, but I don't view myself as radical. I view myself as uh, exercising judgment and logic and analysis. And when you when well, like uh, like with respect to 
these uh, uh, what we're doing to uh, Venezuela and Iran and uh, and other countries. Here, we're sanctioning China. We're sanctioning Russia. What the hell do we got to sanction China and Russia for? Because they're they're supplying uh, Iran. Uh, they're buying Iran's oil. They, Mm-hmm. What what's going to happen? We're going to lose our preference of the dollar being the the global currency. Well, that's going to change. And uh, what we ought to do? Well, I could go into at great length what we need to do at the UN to re, uh, fix that up. But but what we what I hope I'm doing is by putting a marker down there on the left. Uh, is to pull over the Democratic Party, which which has been moved over to the right. So a person right. run, running as a as a centrist, he's not that person is not a centrist. He's to, he's to the right, and 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 that's what's what's happened with the Clintons at all. They've moved the Democratic Party to the right, so that we don't even recognize ourselves over there. So by coming in and and Bernie, in my mind, is is logical. Uh, he, I, I think, the only tactical mistake he's made is using the word socialism uh, in, in the period. But but no, and and Gabbard, with her attitude, she took Obama on, you know, head on. And here she is, a House member. But look at her experience. She's got six years on armed services and and uh, and also a foreign relations committee. There's nobody that's more grounded in the way the operation of the government works uh, in these two key areas. You compare yourself, or you you say you prefer candidates like Gabbard, Warren, and Sanders. They they match most closely with your views, and and while your positions do match up um, more closely with them uh, as candidates, you you are, as far as I know, the only candidate running with a platform explicitly to protect sex workers. Um, can you explain <laughs> exactly what your position is in that regard and, and why you feel that issue is important in a free society? Well, well it is, because what happens is uh, to, to what, the way we treat sex workers and the way we treat this whole issue of prostitution is, uh, is wrong. Uh, what, you know, you're, you're negating this. This comes back to the religious elements in our society, going back to the Puritan era. The, what you're doing is you're you're negating sexuality, and you can't do that. You can't pass a law establishing morals. It, it doesn't happen. It be, it becomes oppressive. Now, of course, the communists in their heyday, man, they were really moralistic. If you look back uh, uh, during that period. Uh, and, and of course, uh, Mao in China was the same thing, although he himself was extremely promiscuous, uh, when, uh, towards the latter part of his life. So as far as, uh, people, women who, who choose to, uh, to make a living, uh, as a sex worker, if they're doing it properly, if they're doing it with all the health ingredients that are required, why does that need to be outlawed? Uh, you know, you go to you go to the Netherlands, which is a very mature com- uh, country, and you you get uh, people advertising their wares in windows. Uh, 
Should they be put in jail? Should they be denied the right to earn a living if that's the way, the way they want to choose? So it, it comes down to the fundamental civil rights of the people in question. And so to begin to, uh, to lock them up, you see, the, the Johns just recently, that's changed a little bit in Florida, and I think that that's wrong down here. But uh, the, what the, the Johns never get uh, picked up. It's always the ladies that, uh, and and of course, then they're let let free, and of course, they got to go back and make a living, which is their chosen right. Now, I don't believe in sex slaves. I think that that's a whole slavery issue, uh, and and or I and I don't believe in waging war with rape which, of course, is an extensive issue in many parts of the world today. So I hope I've answered your question. For me, uh, sex worker freedom or sex worker is a civil rights issue, uh, nothing more than that. And I just don't, I know from personal experience, you cannot legislate morality. It just is a ridiculous oxymoron. I mean, I think it's an extremely important, barely talked about issue, especially you know, we're in 2019, marijuana is practically legal everywhere around us, it seems. It seems like it's becoming normalized. So I'm, I really appreciate the fact that you've taken a stand on this and actually put it on your campaign website because it's just it's just such an important issue that um, barely get any coverage. And additionally, uh, having legal protections for sex workers is, is really important as well because it's without them— they're they're in da- they're in danger. I mean, with you know, they're they're put in more danger without legal protection. So, hats off to you for taking a stand on that. Well, yeah, thank you, thank you, Mike, for doing that. Oh, I wanted to move on to Palestine, actually, if that's okay, because I, I, sure. this is another crucial campaign issue that differentiates you from other candidates. Is your position on the liberation of Palestine, Mike? Um, you are not afraid to call Israel an apartheid state. Your website actually says the following, quote, end military aid to Israel, refuse to support laws aiming to stifle the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement that cripple freedoms of speech and association, recognize Palestinian statehood, or call for a plural state in which Israelis and Palestinians all enjoy full and equal rights in accordance with the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Elaborate on this because we're going off of a year of a year long massacre of peaceful protesters in this great march of return. And for some reason, Mike, this is controversial still. We saw what happened to Elon Omar um, for literally talking about the influence of APAC. I mean, it's an abomination, but talk about why you have such an unequivocal kind of lens on this issue and why you think everyone else is too is pussyfooting around it and wishy washy about this two state solution and possibility. Yeah, it's like the representative said, it's the Benjamins. <laughs> That's who. Uh, the, the, the whole issue, the, the, Israel today under Netanyahu, and Netanyahu is a smart uh, Trump. That, that's the only difference between Netanyahu and Trump. Trump is not smart. Netanyahu is, and he's played it to a fairly well. Uh, and, and Netanyahu is, is horrible. This is if if I were Jewish, I'd be ashamed to have any association with Israel as long as they have the, the government that they have. But it's unfortunate that the the Jewish community. Uh, it, well, let me give credit where credit's due. During the Vietnam problem, uh, 
uh, trying to stop war. The two major uh, groups uh, that joined in opposing Vietnam was one, the Quakers, and two, the Jewish group. It was recognizable. And, and so the Jewish community uh, it makes an unbelievable uh, contribution to civilization. But now when you get a situation where religion prevails, let's, let's put it right where it belongs. Religion prevails that God gave them this land and there's nobody going to stop them from taking it. And, and building their villages and their walls and all of that. And then it, then you've got an open prison, which is Gaza uh, primarily. And uh, when, when they lob in, when they shut off the water, shut off the electricity, what do you think is going on? It's a prison. And, uh, and so uh, all, all I see is that it gets more extreme uh, and it's an, it is apartheid. There's just no ways about it. And that's what's going to be their undoing. I was just so delighted that there was a federal court judge that ruled that you could not, uh, what the, I forget the terminology, be uh, boycott. Uh, BDS, boycott, divestment, and sanctions. Yeah. yeah. That, that, uh, that what they were, they passed, several states have passed laws, which is here again prostate before APEC and Benjamin, uh, they, they pass laws that, uh, that you can't exercise your right, your civil right, to boycott who the hell you want. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, but a federal judge had the guts to stand up and just uh, wipe it out. And that, of course, and, and here you have the, the, uh, the head of the Democratic Party in the Senate who, who is a major backer of, uh, of apartheid Israel. Uh, so it, it, for me, it, uh, and, and I, I was a great supporter of, of Israel, uh, been there, uh, and, and it's just a realization that uh, this, it's, it's some, there's something fundamentally wrong going on right now, <clears throat> and they are react, reenacting the suffering that they endured on others. That really says, it, it turns my stomach in that regard. Mike, in December 2010, uh, you openly and staunchly supported the actions of WikiLeaks. Uh, you described it as, quote, the most significant effort to save democracy since the release of the Pentagon Papers. And, and I hate to use this word again, um, because I think it's a re very reasonable position, but this seems like quite a radical position to take for the time period, especially given your position. Were you given any media opportunities to share this opinion about WikiLeaks at the time? Yes, uh, but but so the... the uh from interviews uh, that were not mainstream. After the so no CNN spots <laughs> to talk about this. <laughs> no, no CNN spot, no spots anywhere. The uh, no, I I was made when Dean and uh, ML got me out of the debates. They proceeded to make me a non-person. I'd written several articles, sent them sent them to various newspapers. Nobody touches me with a ten-foot pole, and and so. Uh, that you know, that's the problem uh, that I have, and and you put your finger on it. I'm viewed as very radical. I don't think I'm radical in that regard. I think that uh, what I that what I espouse is 
is, of course, uh, logic. And so the, the, the simple logic, when there's only two venues for change, one is the people, the other is the government. And so the government is screwed up and the people don't have the power to effect change other, other than giving their power away on election day. The very sec, second when they throw the switch, there's nothing they can do and wait for two, four, six years. And the, or go protest in the streets. Whenever I see protests, it's it's proof to me that democracy is not working in that country. And and so when we have protests in the United States, it's not our democracy is not working, and it, it's self evident. And so if that's viewed as radical, uh, it it just is is beyond me. Just just anything else about the fate of Julian Assange right now? Um, I mean, you read the Pentagon Papers under record. Did he is what he did different than really Daniel Ellsberg? No, not at all, not at all. And Dan is out, has been very outspoken on Julian. I have too, but then I don't get covered. So, uh, but but I haven't been as outspoken as Dan has. Uh, no, what what uh, Snowden here? The three heroes in my book in in, in secrecy are Chelsea Manning. Uh, Snowden and uh, Julian, uh, and all three of them have contributed to the survival of democracy in the world more than anybody else I know, uh, other than Dan Ellsberg uh, and and others who who uh, go ahead and fight the media as you do. I've wondered why I don't see more of you, or or why I'm so enamored of the way you handle your program. Uh, and and so here too, you're marginalized. Uh, mm-hmm. Anybody who's going to threaten the military-industrial complex is marginalized. Just just look at Tulsi. I mean, mm-hmm. she's got unbelievable gravitas. I, I've never met a person uh, in politics who is so uh, delivers her message in such a level-headed fashion. Now. Why is is she not getting uh, the the same visibility as as uh, Mayor uh, Mayor B? Uh, no. <laughs> he doesn't threaten anybody. That that that's the giveaway. Is is the candidates that don't threaten anybody means they're not doing anything. They're not offering anything. When the minute you you go out into society and you start uh, uh, trying to address problems, sometimes you offend. And so here again, uh, if you're handing out Benjamins, then you're you're not going. You're just going to take your Benjamin and shut up. And that's exactly what we see in Congress. I mean, you know, you have these journalists who who basically just work for access. They're, you know, they they believe in this, Mike. They believe in American exceptionalism. They believe in the U.S. empire and being this benign force. And and you know, they think that they're they think they're on a humanitarian mission. And they're not doing their fundamental jobs as journalists to challenge power, to expose war crimes, to discuss these issues. And then you have Congress. They're the business owners themselves. They're, they're the shareholders. I mean, there's no one challenging this whatsoever. And you've been belittled, smeared, marginalized for simply questioning the official story of 9-11, calling for a new investigation. Anyone who looks at what happened um, subsequently will be concerned about the fact that Henry Kissinger was tried to lead this investigation and, and that, I don't know, it took a, over a year to even put into place. But you've been put through the ringer. 
basically for expressing your views on the 9-11 attacks, um, not only on Vice, I think I recently saw it on the David Pacman show as well. It's been over seven years since your involvement in trying to start a new investigation through a ballot initiative. Um, talk about your main concerns with the initial investigation and what you think about these kind of ambush interviews that try to delegitimize you based on your work to do this. It was interesting that Pacman, you mentioned that. Uh, the kids, uh, they, they monitor this stuff whenever I go on. And, uh, and they were telling me that the audience reaction was on my side, not Pacman's side. It was. <laughs> I saw that yeah. as well, totally. Yeah. And so uh, here again, it's logical. If uh, we, we've all seen controlled demolitions, you know, it's fascinating. We see them on TV. Whenever they're going to do a big building, they're going to implode it. Okay. So we know what, what controlled demolition looks like. So now the, you take the commission. The commission did not even acknowledge uh, that uh, Building 7 was part of the ownership of the twin towers they were all together and then you had a lot of testimony uh not not to the commission because they didn't acknowledge it but the testimony was that people heard the various pop 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 as the floors as the twin towers descended in their own footprint now that in itself is is a form of controlled demolition. And so when you say, well, it's the airplanes that brought them down. No, it's not the airplanes. When you saw that ball of fire, that's all of the the fuel that was in the airplane that blew that section of the building down. It was not enough to bring the buildings down the way they came down. So all, when, when you have enough in architects and engineers, in fact, the Packman kept, kept saying, well, what about the the article in Popular Mechanics. Oh, God. Well, if, the, if the case is going to be made about triggering uh, this infinite war on, on uh, terror is going to be made by a, a, a Popular Mechanics article, then we've really got something wrong in our, our society. And I, I, at the time I read the Popular Mechanics article, I was very involved with the architects and the engineers and it was a joke, and and it was spoon fed by the government. But the thing, the thing that really is, uh, you've heard the expression "follow the money." Who is advantaged as a result of nine eleven? The military industrial complex. Now, am I saying that the head of Grumman uh, is out there uh, planting uh, explosives in the building? No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that it's, it's something of an inside job. I don't know who the insiders are, but I, I have my suspicions. There's another thing that really galls me. Uh, you had two FBI middle officers that have pointed out the fact that you've got these uh, Saudi people that are trying to learn how to fly these big airplanes. They don't need to know how to land them or take off. They just want to know how to, how to steer them. How could that kind of information not percolate up to the top and then when you get the secretary of state that makes the statement that uh well we had no idea that anybody would use a uh, uh an airplane a commercial aircraft as a missile well she clearly was not very informed because the cia had done a study on exactly that problem of using 
commercial aircrafts as missiles. So when when none of this stuff adds up, and you had a couple of, uh, uh, you know, the, the chairman of the committee, uh, the commission, two nice guys, uh, and their reputation was that they were nice guys. That's the reputation. Uh, and so then you had a couple of members of the commission that, that were disgusted with the conduct of the commission, and the chief of staff of the commission was had been an employee of the Secretary of State. Why is it so unreasonable to demand a new uh, commission? And a commission without politicians, because they're too busy trying to cover their suck up to the powers. No, I, I would say a commission uh, that, uh, that scientists who, whose credentials are not biased, and then plus I would name to the commission the last three heads of the United Nations Security Council. And so you'd get some people that have experience with that because this issue, uh, setting up a war on terror, it, as you pointed out, uh, is, is a joke because uh, terror is a, is a tactic. It's, 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 it's going to be with human beings forever. Uh, and all we could do is minimize it. But to be able to use this as a device to go ahead and invade other countries. And you remember in the debate, uh, I had operated uh, Hillary because the day of that debate, uh, there was another motion by Lieberman, and he was one of the co-authors of the original Iraq one. He put one in there to go ahead and uh, to give Bush the power to invade Iran. And, and we came very close. Uh, to that situation with uh, Netanyahu, uh, and, and his Netanyahu's view was that well, uh, he would start a war with Iran, and the U.S. would have to bail him out. Uh, that th there was a thirty-day period uh, several years back that 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 was a distinct possibility and a tragic one had, had it evolved. It's tragic enough that uh, uh, that 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 we have walked away from that treaty with Trump. This, this just goes to show you the abysmal, abysmal ignorance of, of Donald Trump, period. I just can't articulate that any stronger. This whole issue with, you know, 9-11 truth, however you want to characterize it, I mean, it was so taboo, even when you were coming out, speaking out on this issue, that one would think that, you know, seven years later, which is about how long it's been, it would, that taboo would lessen a little bit and people would be more comfortable speaking out on this issue, especially when a lot of the things you're saying are so obvious. I mean, even just, you know, the witness accounts of William Rodriguez alone should pique people's interest and want them to look again into the attacks. But would you say just for you personally, and, and speaking about this, would you say that it's it's about the same level of taboo uh, to speak about this now, or has it lessened at all for you? No, it's uh, it's the same level, and and of course the enforcer of the taboo is mainstream media. In other words, they they just won't deal with the subject, and so anybody stands up and talks about this is is a conspiracy nut. That's that's what they tag you with. Uh, but even even leftists, I mean, I, it seems to be this kind of streak of virulent hatred and conflation with 9-11 truth to Pizzagate and the moon landing. I mean, it just goes on and on of, of just how ridiculous this has become to smear people. No, no question. Uh, when you got this much, here, 
Jack Kennedy, we had three commissions that looked into the assassination. And every commission brought out more information. Now, we didn't address the, the, the culpability of who was involved. And we may not, for 50 years, address, find out the culpability of this inside job. But, but there's, what's wrong with uh, having a commission look at it again? The neocons, I don't know if you recall, the neocons wrote a letter to, uh, to uh, Clinton saying in the letter, and these are Wolfowitz, uh, the, the whole crowd, uh, Cheney, wrote a letter to Clinton saying that what we need is, is a similar uh, a Pearl Harbor event to energize the American people for war. And of course, that, that equates a little bit like the uh, Harry Truman that was told by I forget who, uh, who it was in his administration said, "If you're gonna if you're gonna try to contain communism, you got to scare the American people to death." You know, we've got the whole process of governance cattywampus. Uh, it just it just just doesn't make sense, and that's the reason why it's so obvious for me that uh, that uh, you know politicians don't trust the people. Obviously, the elites don't trust the people, and and so what's What's required with uh, this uh, a legislature of the people to create for the people to create laws is is what what strikes fear in the hearts of of the elites and the military industrial complex. And when you look back to the founding fathers, the reason why they didn't let the people get involved in the ratification process of the Constitution is because it would have set the stage for the people to be able to make laws back then and so now what we have is from from the constitution from the very beginning we've had the representatives in government have a monopoly on lawmaking a monopoly and that exists today and, and until that monopoly is broken we will never be able to have true broad peaceful society well that's why i'm happy that you're website has an entire section on fundamental political reform. I mean, which is like you mentioned at the beginning of this interview and throughout, perhaps the most important thing to be discussing, because no candidate like yourself will have a rat's chance in hell to represent us or win any electoral victories as long as there's A, electoral college, B, no ranked choice voting. I mean, the list goes on and on, Mike, you know what I'm talking about. Um, you've you've discussed this at length. So it's kind of interesting to me that not other candidates who are marginalized kind of put this issue at the forefront and saying, hey, we need massive upheaval, um, revolutionizing our entire system to even get our voices heard. Similarly to how we need to reconstruct the entire media apparatus because we, you know, the corporate media is never going to change. Well, it's because it's owned lock, stock, and barrel by Wall Street, mm -hmm. the military-industrial yeah. complex. But, but you see, you can't deal with those. Uh, this, this is why I admire Tulsi so, so much, because she's right there in the trench, and she has no problem uh, calling them out. Uh, my hope would be that all they'd have to do is pick a, lift their pinky uh, and say, that, look, let's empower the people to be make laws. Because uh, the people who have a monopoly on lawmaking aren't doing a very good job, period. And, and I had given up, incidentally, I had given up that I would see 
direct democracy in my lifetime. Well, these kids came on and gave me more visibility. I don't know what it means, but they keep telling me that we've had over 46 million hits uh, on, on gravel.org. The, the, you know, this blows me away. And so my hope is that uh, if, if we can get the, this book, is only going to be less than eight, uh, 80 pages, maybe 75 pages. I want, be able, I want to be able to have somebody sit down and read through the whole thing. Because what happens when I talk about the Legislative Procedures Act, people roll their eyes. It, it's complicated. It's like talking about the details of the operation of the, of the Congress. Uh, people roll their eyes. All they want to do is, all they know is about what the, what the results of the votes are. But the operation of the, the detailed process that goes into it, and what I've designed is something that puts the Congress to shame in its operation. And of course, when I was Speaker of the House in Alaska, uh, I, I led the legislative process and caused a lot of reform. When, when, when people talk, well, how could the people amend the Constitution? It's real simple. The three of us, let's form an organization. We don't incorporate because the minute we rely on any facet of, of government, they'll sabotage our efforts. So we form an organization and we ask the people, now you've got to raise several hundred million dollars to do this. He asked the people, do you want to become a lawmaker and, and address, you address uh, your, 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 what you want to take place? You want single-payer health care? Here, you can get it in a heartbeat. When, when the Obamacare came out of committee in the House, uh, on that day, and I, re I was so angry that there was no option uh, for, uh, for single-payer, on that day, the polls showed that 70% of the American people wanted single-payer health care. What a disgrace. What a disgrace, Mike. Yeah, uh, it, 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 it just it makes you angry. That's the reason why. I, I, it, in this debate, I don't know if I'll be as angry as I was in the last debate. <laughs> maybe, maybe I've mellowed out as I hit my uh, pushing 90 years old. <laughs> So, Mike, there's been there's been I noticed kind of a debate or just some push and pull in in the left side of the I guess social media mostly on Twitter um, having to do with uh, the value of Tucker Carlson uh, being supposedly this you know this anti-war beacon on Fox News and and I notice a lot of progressives have been you know kind of on the friendly side with him so but you actually refused um, an invite to his show. Um, and this would have given you the opportunity to get your message out to p potentially millions of people. But on the other hand, I actually really strongly support your <laughs> declining of that invitation um, because I personally think Tucker Carlson is extremely phony and I don't really trust him for a second. So I just wanted you to speak on that and why, like what you feel about him and, and why you decided not to go on. Well, first off, I didn't decide that. That was decided by the kids. Okay. Uh, and when and when I found out about Good it, kids. they they not only decided, they used the F word on. And, <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and and I told them that don't do that. And I told them that hey, I'd like to get my mitts onto Tucker Carlson. I mean, if you got no confidence that I could debate, I'm a great debater. And uh, and and I got to tell you, I would love to uh, stick it to Tucker Carlson. 
Uh, so I I told them to get a hold of them and say, look at I want to debate them. <laughs> I, I have no problems with that. Uh, you know, I'm not a shrinking violet. Just look at the <laughs> the debate spots from 08. I mean, you know, I don't believe in taking any prisoners. <laughs> But what I would uh, like to do is, uh, is I would love to get on to uh, the uh, Fox News, which I, which I think is horrible, <laughs> and it really is. Uh, every so often, uh, I'll, I'll look at Fox News to just realize, to make sure it's it's as bad as it used to be. Uh, oh, it's da- it's dangerously, it's arguably worse because there's this. F- self-perpetuating feedback loop between Donald Trump himself just getting news directly injected into his veins from Fox and then implementing policy based on this kind of bizarre reality. Uh, it's it's really, really disturbing. And as you know, Mike, as someone who's militantly anti-war, I mean, Fox News has paved that propaganda framework for the war on terror more than any any other network. But the best, ones, the best way to do it is to challenge them on their own network. Right? Mm-hmm. Get it, get into a fight with them. That that that's my approach. But let me let me share a little vignette with you, which will 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 if you don't may not know this. When mm-hmm. Newt Gingrich became the Speaker of the House, uh, Rupert Murdoch had was hung up on a, uh, a TV station, uh, and and so uh, now this is January, January, and Rupert Murdoch and and Newt Gingrich, the new Speaker of the House, are sitting on a park bench out there in the snow in the wintertime. Now, if that isn't a, and of course, shortly after that, uh, Murdoch got what he wanted in, a, in his TV licensing. Uh, and, uh, and, and so if you understand the way the system works, you can just, what the conversation was between Newt uh, and Murdoch says it all. And it says it all for right now with what was created by Murdoch, not only in the United States, but in Britain and in uh, uh, Australia. And so these are just bad, bad people. And, uh, and they've got away with it all because uh, they, 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 what they've created, we used to have a two-party system. We don't. The, re- the, the Republicans have just gone crazy. It's a Trumpian party right now, mm-hmm. and, uh, and we'll see if unless there's dislodgement by some of by any number of Republicans, Trump goes down in the next election. Oh, we hope that's the case. He'll take the entire Republican Party with him over the side, like lemmings going over the side. Now, uh, what what would limit that? is uh, how how the Democrats would handle. Uh, I'm very much against impeachment, uh, and I think it was stupid to keep advocating impeachment until you get all the facts out. And secondly, if, you, if you're not going to get this passed in the, in the Senate, now, th- you could make a case that uh, pass it and throw it over there, and that would be, that might help the campaign. I don't know. I think things need to be played out a little more on on trump you know all he's got right now is 37 percent uh now last time they manipulated the uh, the electoral college uh i think that people are a little wiser uh than they were before on that score 
So well, let's hope so. But, you know, even though we know to not trust polls, Mike, Joe Biden uh, is leading some of the polls. And I know that you mentioned some of his policies, the disastrous policies of the, you know, the prison industrial complex, Kosovo, uh, Yugoslavia, of course, the Iraq war vote, which you will not let him forget, which I love. Um, but but any other comments? And of course, the Anita Hill scandal, any other comments on Biden's policies why Democrats should reject him, and also what you think will happen if he does indeed become the nominee. Well, first off, if he becomes a nominee, he'll be politics as usual. No big deal. Uh, yeah. Do you think he'll beat Trump, though? I don't think he will. No, I, I think it's going to be a repeat of 2016. Well, tough enough to beat Trump. That's, yeah. that's why I like Bernie. Bernie, you know, forget all the uh, his, his positions. Uh, Bernie is a tough, a tough guy. Period, and uh, and he he could really uh, eat up uh, eat up. The only other person that I know that could beat Trump would be uh, Bloomberg, uh, but uh, he's t- he's come out of the picture, uh, and that leaves the way open for. But but now what's going to happen is mainstream media is going to go for uh, for Biden. You know, because mm-hmm. not a threat to anything that's going on. Uh, but by the same token, Biden is mistake prone. He he he's done a goofy year, uh, and so in the course of his campaign, with the pressures that come about, uh, he he could make a couple of serious mistakes that will just doom him. One of the mistakes was that on the day that he got this what six million dollars in campaign contributions. Well, that was all planned ahead, obviously, but uh, the people who, the two companies that uh, that were the host of that fundraiser was Amazon and I believe uh, Delta Airlines, not, huh. not Delta, I forget who it was, but it was another major corporation, an airline corporation. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so all he's got to do is keep doing that. And, and, and of course, the, there's enough people out there that will be reporting on where the money's coming from. And, uh, you know, and it was, it was Biden himself. Oh, some, a lot of it came from small donors. Well, I don't buy that. Uh, I, think, I think you've got to just hope and point out his shortcomings. Uh, and mm-hmm. he's terrible. What, what, what really helps him is that he's basically a nice guy. He, you know, he's hail fellow well met. Uh, and you know, ordinary kind of guy, but uh, he's no rocket scientist. He's not all that. Uh, I would not call him uh, an extremely bright person. Uh, and of course, Bernie is, and that's of course part of his undoing. But he's yeah, Bernie's come a long way. Uh, he right. really is. Well, it was uh, Bernie's acknowledged that uh, that he was a little weak in the past on foreign policy. Yeah, and I fought. I donated to his campaign. So I was able to eat a little bit of that uh, and not be too critical. But, you know, the, the people are what they are. And, uh, and he, he is, has been true blue from day one and has improved his color uh, as he goes forward. And, uh, and, and courage. Uh, you know, the, the most important virtue a person can have is the virtue of courage because that's the virtue that implements all the other virtues. And so Tulsi and Bernie, uh, I may not agree with everything, but boy, I agree with 90% of what they talk about and, and they got the courage. 
to back up what needs to be done. Fantastic. Well, you know, it's incomprehensible to me that the Democrats are even running Biden considering Obama picked him to appeal to Republicans, kind of going in line with what you're talking about. I mean, we are, this is a right party. They're, they're officially a right-wing party, right? And, and Bernie, I agree with you as well. Look, Bernie, I think, can be moved. We need to push these people from the left. We need to be unequivocally saying we want an end to the U.S. empire. I mean, acknowledging this for what it is. No more wars, Mike. And I support um, your efforts. I'm, I'm incredibly honored for you to take the time to come on our podcast and to discuss these things at length. Um, we really appreciate you and your message, and, and we stand behind you. And um, um, we'll be right there fighting alongside to try to end U.S. imperialism and restore democracy here at home. And thank you so much for coming on Media Roots Radio, Mike. Yeah, thank, thank you, Mike. Thank you very much for having me. And both of you, are, I admire a great deal. Thank you. Thank you so much, Senator. We really appreciate your time. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you enjoyed what you heard today on Media Roots Radio, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Media Roots Radio. 